You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. My homie told me that when people rise up against you, it's the sign of your destiny real. Fake ones been hating because they know that one day you're making it. Jealousy's all they can feel. Plug in the fold, drifting my soul. Pain in the future when thinking alone. About when I'm grown, already blown. How'd I get back with this beautiful home? You were the sight, beautiful life. Beautiful sex with my husband and wife. Beautiful children, people who want to come kill me because Welcome to our second episode of Neurodiversity at Work, Prisoners, Vagrants, Vagabonds and Albert Einstein. Today I have Ed Thompson with me from Optimize. Now 12 months ago, almost to the day, I was at Whitstable with the Resourcing Leaders 100 and I heard Ed do a presentation on neurodiversity. It was the first time I'd heard the concept, the idea, the word neurodiversity, and it blew my mind. Partly because I associate with being dyslexic. I was uh, I was identified as being dyslexic at 21 as a mature student into university. And all these years later, I now identify as also being ADHD. So for me, hearing this term 12 months ago was a really big moment in my life and started to make sense of so much for me. So I was grateful to hearing Ed sharing this story uh, in a really easy to understand way. And Ed's doing some incredible work across the globe with organisations to help them with neurodiversity in the workplace. I hope you enjoy hearing my conversation with Ed as much as I enjoy talking to him. Ed, if you would like to uh, introduce yourself to the audience and let them know who you are and why you're with me today. Absolutely. Thanks uh, for having me, Theo. So I'm Ed Thompson. I'm the CEO and founder of Optimize. We are a neurodiversity training platform uh, that provides training both on and offline for organizations to help them attract, hire and retain neurodiverse talent. We've been going for about three years. We have offices in London and in Denver, Colorado, where I'm speaking to you from. Um, and Theo, we are, and I'm sure you'll give some context, we're talking now because we met in the context of your role as a, a recruitment leader in London. And part of my role as a CEO, CEO of Optimize of helping to talk and, and educate people around the topic of, of neurodiversity at work. Yeah, Ed, spot on. So we, I've, I spoke with Jamie last week on the show and we were talking about Whitstable a year ago. And that's where I met with you, Ed, and you did a great presentation on neurodiversity. And it was the first time I'd heard that term. So for me, it's great to have you on the show because you introduced me to it through that session. And you did it in a really great, informative way that opened my eyes. So, yeah, so it kind of it's all big. It all began at that point and through the work that you've been doing with Optimize. So what got you on to? the subject of neurodiversity. What does it mean to you? Why have you gone on the journey to set up, optimize? You're, you're a bright guy. You could have done many different things. What, what, what was the pull with neurodiversity? Well, it's a good question. And actually, I'm rather in the minority of uh, founders of uh, either businesses or nonprofits in this space in that I'm not neurodivergent myself. I don't have a 
neurodivergent son or daughter or parent. Uh, I actually got into this uh, through quite a different route. Uh, I was working in the tech sector in London, working for a CEO whose priorities really were around uh, people. Uh, they were around uh, sourcing talent. You know, how do we find enough talent, particularly tech talent? And also, how do we make sure that our organization is is you know diverse enough to see the benefits of that that have sort of become you know clearer and clearer over the last sort of 10 to 15 years so my background had actually just been in the private sector i'd worked in consultancy private equity i was expecting to do more commercial strategy work but sort of drawn to where we thought collectively my, my boss and i that the sort of challenges for the company were i ended up getting into uh, things like uh, internships and apprenticeships around diverse hiring and in in cutting a long story short helped to create an apprenticeship program a tech apprenticeship program for the whole of the London uh, tech sector that connects young people uh, in London who have grown up with sort of tech skills but wouldn't typically uh, necessarily have an opportunity to to get in front of these tech companies that we know are hungry for talent you know really trying to to, to build a a connection between those two. And I, I really sort of saw the, you know, both the need from the business side, you know, we're, here we are, we're sitting in the boardroom thinking, well, look, we need talent, you know, how do we find it? And also the the social impact that that, that can bring, you know, where, where you're actually solving business talent needs, you can really deliver social impact. And obviously through a, a sort of face-to-face -face apprenticeship program, I saw that firsthand. So after that, I was really intrigued by, you know, these talent challenges, being much broader than tech and much broader than London, certainly, and intrigued by what organisations sort of globally were, were, were doing about it, and and also intrigued by you know the potential to do social impact through um, sort of strategic diverse hiring that that would help organisations engage with overlooked talent pools. And actually, I came to the US and saw very sort of early embryonic interest and, and programs around neurodiversity at work. I actually had a, a, a one particular contact within a big nonprofit here in, in the autism space that, that sort of opened my eyes to, to this. And I saw it in very similar terms. You know, here's this huge talent pool that, that's typically been uh, sort of, you know, under included and, and probably poorly hired and poorly recruited, but that clearly has an enormous amount of value to add um, that, that, you know, businesses could 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 leverage both to, you know, find people who could do the jobs that they need perfectly well, but also to ultimately build higher performing teams. And although we actually started Optimize um, building training for individuals uh, based on some of the work I'd done in apprenticeships, actually we realized fairly quickly that the real cog in the wheel here was going to be the employers and actually it was that employers didn't know how to attract hire and retain neurodiverse talent so that's been the problem statement that we've sort of attacked ever since really interesting and you mentioned you know you've gone to the us there's a, a lot of engagement there kind of the the conversation is happening and evolving do you see that that is now the case uh, in the UK as well uh, and where else I guess um, do you think neurodiversity is becoming a, an important subject that's being talked about more? 
Yeah, I, I think I, I think both, and and I have a good perspective on 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 both places. Obviously, having started the company in London and being from the UK and and continuing to do a lot of work there, but having spent time here, we also being a a, a platform, we're able to support clients at the moment in Canada, New Zealand, Australia. We have partners globally. We're we're talking to a, a lot of people actually about taking uh, our materials into different markets and languages so i think you know i think there's interest globally just on the on the sort of us uk comparison which i think is interesting i think what the uk sorry what the us has is it has had some very sort of prominent glamorous organizations uh pioneer uh, particularly autism hiring programs and get a lot of press for that and i think you know it's to, it's to those the, the credit of some of those organizations that they've sort of decided to do something that that they you know they hadn't that hadn't really been done before, certainly with those sort of frontline um, employees. Uh, but the, the challenge with the US, of course, is it's so big that actually, you know, the fact that Microsoft are doing something or SAP are doing something is all very well, but, you know, that can feel quite distant to an organisation that's, you know, 2,000 miles away. I think what the UK has is such a sort of tight uh, national conversation and you know, Theo, I know you're part of this as as a recruiter and now as a as an advocate for neurodiversity. You know, people are close by, people talk with each other. And I think if you look at something like mental health in the UK, which really wasn't a big topic in 2010, uh, but now almost every organisation in the UK is taking mental health seriously and providing support. I think the UK has the capacity, and you're already seeing it now, to move really quickly to being a a leader in this in this area. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree. And I think what you touched upon there around organizations like Microsoft and SAP for, for years and years, you know, seven, eight years have been running programs. They can isolate potentially an office in Australia or whatever it may be to run an autism program to ensure it works, uh, which is great. But how do the rest of us, how do all the other organizations translate that when they may only be based in a small office with 60 people, but actually 30% of them may be neurodifferent? And I think that was the reason for starting this podcast, because there's so many people who are interested in the subject across HR, recruitment, uh, and just generally within organizations, but they really just don't know what step to take uh, and what to do. So yeah. on that basis, Ed, what have you seen? What was your experience been of, of the types of things organisations are doing, what's working, how they've been, uh, you know, taking up uh, optimise and where that's been working? You know, what are some of the short stories you can share with us? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that you're, you're right that there's sort of different approaches here. And some of the, the the very large companies that have, have sort of pioneered, pioneered neurodiversity programs uh, have done so by building sort of ring fenced autism hiring programs. So you know we're gonna we're gonna try and hire a certain amount of people on the spectrum in you know in this particular office or in these offices or or within these roles, um, and that was sort of where we started. And so. We've supported programs like that, helped them to 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 grow, and our clients have, have, have really kind of hired a ton of people uh, at this point, which which is great. And we've seen some some really powerful individual stories as as part of those programs. So there's a <clears throat> what one particular story of a guy called Blake. 
in in the US who graduated with a computer science degree, very smart guy from a from a good university. And you would think, you know, in the 21st century, somebody like that would just walk into, you know, a high paying tech job in, in Silicon Valley. But actually, Blake is autistic. He has his own style of interacting and communicating with people. He struggled to find sustainable employment after leaving college and in fact, you know, faced discrimination from from employers and, and was laid off by one employer and was unemployed at age of 26. He then applied to Microsoft um, within their autism hiring program was and was uh, interviewed by a manager who had taken our training. And this manager said, look, you know, I could tell that Blake is talented and, and you know, knew everything we needed. Uh, I knew I just had to give him a little bit of extra time and, and space. And, you know, Blake is now two years on a, a very successful systems engineer um, at Microsoft. Uh, we've seen people on these programs, you know, come in and, and file patents. Uh, we've seen programs like on JP Morgan's program where they've done some tests around productivity. The more neurodiverse teams that they've hired have been, you know, 50 to 90 percent more productive. So although I think it's it's still early in terms of data that, you know, the, 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 the signs are there that this is, a, you know, a positive thing for organizations and a positive thing for individuals. Now, on your point, and not every organization is is sort of approaching it in that way. And actually, I think some of those organizations are, are doing that for a couple of reasons. One, because they're big enough that they have, you know, the, the, the resources, they can put a number of people sort of full time into building a particular program. But what they don't have is, you know, the ease of looking at, if you like, more sort of global process adjustment off the bat. You know, if you think if you're a a 200,000 person organization that's, you know, has very entrenched processes around recruitment and so on. Actually, that it takes a while to, 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 to change those. We have other types of organizations. And as you mentioned, these can be small as well as big, who are looking at neurodiversity inclusion more around, look, you know, we know we have a neurodiverse team across the board. We know we're constantly hiring from a, a pool, which, you know, th there's likely a percentage that, that is neurodivergent. How do we make sure uh, more holistically, we can include people. And we're starting to work now with organizations who are, you know, immediately looking to kind of change the, the culture and awareness of neurodiversity by training everyone uh, in the organization uh, about neurodiversity at work. You know, we have a we have a one training, which is just a 30 minute introduction. And you're going from, you know, I don't know what neurodiversity is, what is that? And all of the kind of stereotypes that you've built up around things like uh, autism or dyslexia and so on to a changed perspective. And then building on that, you know, specific tactical training for, for managers who need it, for, for recruiters to look at the recruitment process. You know, and over time, as you sort of adjust culture and process and so on, you know, I think there's the opportunity to, to more holistically and, and proactively uh, include people who think differently. Yeah, absolutely. And how are the, what do you think is the general take up from managers across these organizations? What are the stats that you find there when, when you go in uh, and you implement uh, these uh, this ideology, the systems, the processes or the, or the, the training, the education? What, what is the feedback that you're getting from the organizations around how engaged the hiring community are? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we I think the reality is that, you know, uptake of any kind of 
uh, program, particularly if it's not mandatory. And 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 a lot of organisations we've worked with will will keep the mandatory trainings for the compliance side. Um, you know, you, you're going to have uh, a varying um, level of of take up. You know, you'll have. We often see managers um, really kind of devour this stuff because they they realise you know how relevant it is to them. And uh, but then of course you know you'll have some who are who are more sceptical. We've we've tended to see uptake of around two thirds, which I think is pretty good based on the benchmarking that 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 we've done. And again, you know, part of it is always you know how do you make sure you're motivating it and and exciting everybody. The other part is, you know, how do you really kind of continue to feed and support and educate the the, the people who really get it and, and kind of see the uh, the need. Um, but I, I think we've we've generally seen it being very fertile ground. It's it's funny because it, it's such a new topic that you know nobody was doing neurodiversity training, um, you know, five years ago. But we'll do an on-site training, and people will come along and say, "Look, I'm here for the neurodiversity training," and it feels like the most natural thing in the world. So I think people realise that it's it's kind of needed and and, and overdue and and um, actually Theo, you know some of the um, some of the surveying we did of of, uh, of recruitment leaders in London kind of really just pointed to this you know need that that uh, people understood that this is an important topic and it can add value but you know nobody's done much so far so you know I think I think people realise okay it's time to fill the gap. Absolutely. And again, back to the reason for doing this is is exactly that, um, you know, people telling me that, hey, we're doing something or we've got the board interested. We've had somebody come in and present. Um, but the problem is it's then taking it to that next level, isn't it? It's almost does it just drop off the edge of a cliff? And then in six months time, it's forgotten or not necessarily forgotten, but it's it just struggling to make anything happen with it. And then you have the person who's leading it, leaves the organisation. I mean, it's the same hold within DNI or within anything else that just sometimes seems a bit too difficult. Uh, that th then it gets left. So I, you know, I think now feels like the time that there are enough people who are saying, "I, I want it. I want to know more about this subject." That we can provide them with, you know, information in this way, whether it's right. through podcasts right. or written content. Yeah, I, absolutely, and. I, exactly. I think um, there's 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 certainly value in you know engaging and and, and stimulating the, the 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 leaders in this space, the people who whose responsibility is around talent or inclusion uh, and so on. Uh, we really believe that you know ultimately organisations you know it's easy to depersonalise an organisation and think about you know the the products, the building, the logo and so on. But really an organization is just a network of people. And so our view is actually to, you know, to 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 change things on the inside. You have to kind of get into the nodes of, of, of that network, you know, and, and get into the manager to direct reports relationships, get into the uh, recruiter to candidate relationships. And actually, so that's kind of why we've had this platform approach of, of you know trying to build very snackable uh, resources for those people in the field to just you know take kind of practical steps into into their work you know an example that that we like is uh, around um, interviewing you know just to try and embed the idea that you should ensure that a candidate is comfortable before you start an interview and just trying to sort of 
build that process in that that's the first question you should ask in an interview you know are you comfortable and it's such an easy takeaway and actually I think that's the kind of takeaway that can really add value and it's and it's quick and if you you know if you if you sort of 100x that across your recruiters actually I think you you can start seeing value just from that one thing yeah absolutely uh, things like you know putting candidates in fishbowls for interviews and uh, you know, a noisy environment, they're all things that we can try and rectify or at least improve. You know, sometimes you can't help the fact there's some noise going on, there's some building works going on outside. But right. certainly you can make better decisions about the rooms you pick, around providing water, that they've got access to a toilet. These seem really simple things, right? But actually, for some people, it can be the difference between having a comfortable experience and a really uncomfortable experience at an interview. Absolutely. And it, and it can start before the interview. You know, are you are you setting clear expectations of what the interview is going to consist of, you know, and what people need to bring? And are you providing clear instructions on on how to get there? Not just, you know, here's our building. But when you're here, you know, go to reception, ask for this person. It's on this floor. It's this room, you know, really kind of making it easy for people and and and, and trying to reduce stress. And I, I think it's it's just such a truism of 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 this topic that really all of the uh, these changes are, or, or at least the vast, vast majority are very, very simple to make and good for everybody, you know, and, and, and good for all sorts of demographics, whether it's, you know, young people who are new to the workplace, whether it's veterans transitioning into, into business, whether it's people who, you know, for whom English is a second language, you know, these are all adjustments that are going to help, you know, reduce stress and help people kind of really be themselves and, and, and show their best side. Absolutely. And Ed, what do you see in the future then? What, what's in store for neurodiversity and what's in store for you and Optimize? Yeah, great question. I, I, I mean, we've really seen such a a, a change, and I, you know, I don't know what the metaphor is—a a kind of wave of of interest and, and activity um, around neurodiversity. And I, I really just expect that to to continue. You know, I think it's it fascinates me that you know, if you think just at a human level, humans have been collaborating in 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 groups for you know hundreds of thousands of years, and it's taken us till whatever it was, you know you know, the, the, the early 2000s and, and probably at a bigger scale, sort of only the last five years to to really be acknowledging this reality of, of human cognitive difference and, and, and trying to sort of, you know, use that and, and leverage that to optimise our collaboration kind of at a high level. And I think, you know, at that level, that's just going to continue. What we want to see, and I think what we will see ultimately is neurodiversity cognitive difference being much more broadly accepted, talked about, and ultimately kind of championed that this is simply a you know a a, a, a basic thing for for an organisation to aspire to, to acknowledge in itself, and and to leverage. And I think you know the the organisations, some of the organisations we've been working with, um, you know, have been have been doing that, have been moving that way, have been moving the conversation in in that way. I think people like you, Theo, are. Are helping to move that forward as well and it you know it ultimately it'll be a number of organizations who who do this and who see the impact and other organizations ultimately catching up thinking well you know we have to do that too if we if, if everybody in our team you know thinks the same has the same perspectives we're not going to be able to compete yeah i absolutely agree 
I think the future is exciting if we think of it in that context, that we can have really diverse teams. A creative and dynamic makeup of teams is is a good way uh, to see the future of the world, especially with all the turmoil and challenges we yeah. face yeah. currently. It's, I think, I think nice that's an important thing. point, actually, that, 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 you know, we shouldn't forget the, the, the importance and, and the hard work done around, you know, the, the business case for diversity and inclusion per se, right? Because I think diversity and inclusion for a long time was a, was a CSR thing and a nice to have um, in, in terms of how it was perceived. And actually that's really changed um, over the last sort of 15 years. Um, and I think that's been a platform for something like neurodiversity um, to, to really kind of neurodiversity in the sense of, you know, being a category of, of, of inclusion and diversity to really take off um, very quickly. Because I think once people are persuaded that actually, you know, if you have people who have had different experiences, different perspectives in a room and, you know, that will make you a more productive and, and successful and creative company, it's a fairly short jump from that to think, well, actually, let's include the people who naturally think differently. I think that's a, a great way to end the, the show today, Ed. And if people want to catch up with you, if they want to find you, where's the best place to connect with you, Ed? It's optimize.com, www.optimize.com. I always like giving out my email as well. So anybody wants to reach out to me personally, wants to talk about this in, in, you know, in their context, for their organization and so on, uh, it's ed, ed at optimize.com. Dot com that's u-p-t-i-m-i-z-e it's the kind of american spelling and ed i'm really pleased a year ago almost to the day not quite but a year ago <laughs> yeah. to the day um you know i saw you present at whitstable uh, it was an amazing event and you did a great job and it certainly inspired me so i thank you for that day and uh, i you know i look forward to continuing to work with you in the future i appreciate it theo and you're doing great work thank you